With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever you are in the world. Today's very cool. We have a co Y Whale member uh, with Sean and his partner, Lucia. Um, and today's an NFT project. And it's really, I, I've got the screen on in the background so we can really remember that there's a lot more than just digital at, at play here with Web3. Web3 does have some ecological uh, impacts on the world. And I really want to, really excited for this one. Uh, so Sean and Lucia can kind of walk through some of the, some of the efforts by some really talented talented teams to make sure that everyone is aware uh, of what's going on on the planet and, and some other some other statuses here that, I, like I said, we'll dive into in a second. But let's go ahead and start off with you, Sean. How'd you, how'd, uh, how'd you end up here? Where, what was your first Web3 experience and um, you know what got you so hooked on, on wanting to do this full time? Yeah, it was, a, it was a bit of a crazy story, actually. Um, I, was, uh, I was sitting in the Caribbean, which is where I'm from, as you know, Jay, um, and one of my friends gave me a call. Uh, who I went to business school with, and he just said, hey, Sean, um, do you know where I can buy $100,000 of Bitcoin? And my reaction to that, of course, is, uh, what are you smoking? Where can I get some? Um, and then, are you serious? And uh, as soon as uh, he said that, he was like, look, dude, seriously, you need to look at this. Um, take a real look. Also, seriously, do you know where I can buy $100,000 of Bitcoin? And I was like, actually, I do. Uh, there's somebody who's been trying to tell me about it for ages, connected him. A week later, I called him back after doing my research. And I was like, what business are we starting? I saw it. You know, like uh, it, it took me a week and it took me like a real deep dive. But I, I was insatiable after that week. I, I learned everything I could about the ecosystem. I went and did the Coursera Princeton course. I did the the uh, the MIT course, which was just being designed at those times. Like all, every piece of information I could do, I was following like five different podcasts. I wasn't sleeping very much because I was just passionate about learning everything I could about this ecosystem. And two months later, I was on a plane um, whiteboarding the entire ecosystem when I got to my destination with my friend. And we just started investing in everything we could. And luckily for us, that was just before the ICO boom started to happen. Um, and after we got that, you know, some projects we invested in did really well. Some projects we invested in don't exist anymore. But let's just say that um, we did well enough that this could have been a, a full-time uh, category. And, and I have to say the one thing that I'm fortunate about is, I mean, I guess that's almost six years ago now. And I haven't felt like I've worked a day in my life since then. Everything that I do, I would do for no money, but luckily I didn't have to do it for no money. It's so, it's yeah. the lack of sleep is is what that it's is. It's lack of sleep. It's, it's, it's delirious. <laughs> what are you smoking and where can I get some? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> fabulous, fabulous. Well, see, t- tell us uh, where you know your your background and story and again how you uh, uh, joined up with uh, Mr. Sean here. Sure. So I actually grew up in Latin America, so I'm a Honduran, and uh, I actually started in the public sector. So I was working a lot in 
things that related to identity and identity documentation and kind of felt, you know, I've been a humanitarian since I'm eight, I like to say, because I was just a little activist. Um, And I kind of felt like working in the public sector was exacerbating a lot of the issues that I felt very passionate about. So I started looking elsewhere and ended up working in artificial intelligence and neuroscience for a little bit. And that transition of bringing awareness of international markets and diversity of like lived experience and who we could be designing for and using these technologies for uh, was just a really good match. It made me fall in love with technology and with technological innovation. And so I started to get really hungry and figuring out like what other technologies are out there. And I ended up stumbling on blockchain in 2016, early 2016, I think. And I was very curious, but at the time I was living in Canada and it was like, you were starting to hear a little bit about this one thing called Ethereum. And, uh, and so I started looking into it, but the conversation in North America was very price centric. It was very much like, will ETH overtake Bitcoin? And I was kind of not super excited about that. So I went down this rabbit hole where I realized like the potential of the technology was impossible to ignore. And if, you know, I had stumbled on it and I'm not even, you know, I wasn't even technical at the time, then like surely other people would have stumbled upon it. And so I started doing some research and in the span of three months, a couple of friends and I spoke to 448 blockchain projects that were all happening in emerging markets. So we spoke to like developers, founders, investors, everything in uh, Southeast Asia, Africa, Eastern Europe, the Middle East, Latin America, and the Caribbean. And we were like, how are you using this technology? Like, what's the deal here? And three months in, also no sleep. Um, so you can tell why Sean and I get along. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so after that, I was like completely obsessed with the technology. I could see all of the different directions it could be taken, um, all of the applicability in financial inclusion, in social inclusion, in um, just all of these different realms of innovation, and I got really excited about it. So I entered the first blockchain for social impact hackathon that Consensus ever held, uh, wow. and our team came in second place. And then I start getting, you know, because they're making a big deal out of the winning projects, and so they, I start getting all these messages on LinkedIn that are like, what are you even doing in this space? And I'm like, give me two weeks and I'll answer the question. So I uh, took two weeks and then I put together the original vision for what my current company is uh, called Emerge. And that's how I sort of got started. And then, you know, we worked on social impact and humanitarian based applications of the tech and mixing it with technologies I'd worked in with before. So a lot around like the convergence of blockchain and AI toward uh, humanitarian uh, projects around like digital identity for refugees. We've done projects in supply chain traceability for uh, indigenous communities or like rural communities in South America. So we had done a fair bit of work in that domain. And I happened to be in Miami for a conference and Sean and I had been in WhatsApp groups together for a while, but we had never had a direct conversation and we had never met in person. And so we are at this gathering with mutual friends and uh, I'm speaking to to one of our mutual friends and he's asking, you know, how I see the NFT space going and, you know, it's trending and what, you know, where do you sort of see the applicability for social impact? And we're talking. And as soon as I'm like maybe halfway through my main points, he stops me and he's like, give me a second. And he drags Sean over and sits him down next to me and goes, you two talk. 
And uh, I mean, Sean tells the story better than I do uh, from that point on, because I just spent the entire rest of the five minutes from meeting him laughing. So, <laughs> so, so where, where does this drive, Lucia, come from? Like, there's, there's so many people in Web3 and in crypto and like, they're out to, to get their Lambos. They're out to get their, you know, their moonshots. And you're over here trying to like change the world in, in a better way. Where does that come from? I have a savior complex. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, the, uh, the truth is uh, I just, I grew up in a country that has very, very high degrees of inequality. Um, I have very vivid memories of uh, experiencing sort of just shocking moments. Uh, when I was eight, there was this hurricane in Honduras. It wiped out electricity for two weeks. And that was the worst that happened to my family. But my parents, they used to run donation, uh, you know, for one of the larger uh, organizations in the area that was distributing clothing, food, water. Um, and I like I was eight at the time, which is why that's the age I referenced earlier. But they would take me with them and I would help distribute things. And like, there's something about, you know, seeing like poverty and desperation and like need and all these things sort of come together. And you realize that like, maybe I'm eight and I don't understand the ramifications of like losing everything to the point where you may never get it back. But I certainly recognize like this emotional connection of saying like, there are people out there that really need innovation, that really need um, visibility, that need access to certain services and things. And like, if I stumble upon a technology that is really like foundationally connected to this idea of inclusion, then for me, like there's only one way to use it. So it really comes from this understanding of like, just being a, a very connected human being and seeing a technology that enables connection across borders. And that to me is a combination that particularly excites me. That's awesome. Absolutely love it. So, so let's just jump right into e- Eternals. Um, and, and uh, either one of you go at it and uh, you know, fig- run through kind of that elevator pitch and then we'll dive in a little bit deeper here in a minute. Yeah, I mean, uh, Lucia, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll to jump first, but I'll do it a little philosophically, and then I'll let you um, r- run at it with the uh, with the meat and bones. Uh, the philosophy was where both of us aligned, and on, on that conversation when we 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 aligned, it's because we're both dreamers, uh, we're both philosophically minded, and we're both uh, thinking that this technology is super powerful. So what we were what we bonded on was how far can we take this. How far can we take technology and how far can we take impact? So we recognize that at that time, NFTs were, to be honest, pretty pictures. And there's nothing wrong with pretty pictures. It's wonderful. It's really good. It's very interesting. And it's a use case of the technology. We were like, okay, what if we took pretty pictures and we made them video? And what if we made video that could change? What if we made this evolve? What if it wasn't just a, a static object What if it was a game object? What if you could play with it? What if it was a toy? And this was like the foundation for us in multiple different ways. What if instead of thinking about NFTs as something that you own, what if it was something that you could play with? Like the idea of Montessori, that you can engage with something, you could learn, you can uh, can develop. And there's no limitation really on a digital toy. And I think about like, you know, like uh, many of our our colleagues have kids. Uh, They have to buy a new toy for their kid like every two weeks once the kid hits like five and then all toy goes into the side. So the idea for toys that never got old was this idea that you could play with something and it can engage and it could also play back with you or it could evolve as you played with it. That was the first realm where we started to think, how far can we push the technology? But on the other side, we were like, well, how far can we push the impact? 
when Lucy and I started talking about this idea, we were thinking about endangered species and animals and aligning it towards uh, protected, protected habitats in Africa. Uh, but then, you know, and I won't steal this year's thunder here, uh, she introduced uh, the, um, the concept of doing this for the, for the rainforest, and she'll explain why in a second. And we thought, okay, how can you take this same gamification, this evolution, this um, tangibility, and, and translate that into real-world impact, but not just real-world impact one way, how can you make that a mutual, uh, a mutual conversation? Not um, what, which is what happens in traditional charities so far because of the limitations of technology. It's donation, impact, cool. How can we make this attached uh, where there's a two-way conversation going? What does Web3 offer to allow impact to no longer become a one-time engagement but become a continuous conversation? And that was the birth of what has become the Eternals. But, you know, like, I think before I hand over to Lucia, I have to say, that's where we started. Then 28 other people joined us and decided on adding their particular skills, their particular values, their particular thoughts and their ideas. And that's when it really blossomed into what it is today. Mm -hmm. But I'll hand over to Lucia to give you a little bit more specifics and talk about that. Yeah. I think to add on to what you're saying, some of the early questions that were particularly fascinating around impact are also this idea that like, essentially impact as it stands right now, it's very hard to make it an investable asset class, right? Like you're looking, and I I feel like people across YPO will understand that because there's so much interest in investing in um, like ESG associated frameworks or investing in, you know, initiatives that will ultimately, you know, have a good social return on investment, but it's been so hard to like measure, so hard to quantify, so hard to really see the return. And so I think for us, it was really this question of like, impact needs to be a core component of the utility of this type of financial instrument so that it's not, as Sean described, a passive outcome of saying, we're going to donate, you know, X percentage to a charity, which like we do and like we celebrate for sure. But also the fact that like impact itself becomes so, uh, so meaningful to the core utility of this instrument that impact itself becomes a, like an asset class that you want to invest in. And that to us was really important because that's really showcasing the potential of the connection between this type of technology, the connection between economic incentives and financial instruments in the decentralized space, um, you know, toward impact and a more viable and sustainable future. And the other question that I think was very interesting that was maybe a little after these original questions was this concept of like financial sovereignty. Like we as an industry, we preach, you know, financial empowerment and like distribution of economies and economic instruments. But ultimately what we were seeing in the NFT space was like, over and over again, we would hear the words, the market sets the price, the market sets the price, the floor price is here, so on and so forth. And to us, there was just something interesting about potentially experimenting with how engagement and data and like human social behavior fosters and fuels and changes the way that you're able to show up in a secondary marketplace. And so this idea that we could mix the metamorphic and evolutionary nature of an NFT 
and then get people directly to engage and feed it, you know, behavior that would ultimately force it to change. And that, you know, once it did, that it would be more visually complex or that it would be, it would come with more benefits in the community that would increase the value of your NFT. And so when you go and you try and flip it, if you flip it when you first bought it and it hasn't like blossomed in any way, then, you know, that's one price, one valuation. But if you go and you engage with it and you nurture it and you give it whatever it is that it needs in order to blossom, then that's a different valuation entirely. And that's actually like, it's not you being part of the market that set the price, but rather it's you having a direct injection of sovereignty into like the value of your asset over time. And so we thought that was also a particularly exciting opportunity to sort of showcase like the sovereignty of individuals in the macroeconomic spectrum of the NFT market. And so that was also something that I thought was particularly engaging. Um, and then as Sean mentioned, you know, the team grew, the vision grew, everyone made it better. And what we ended up with is a 10,000 uh, unique NFT collection. Um, they're interesting in several ways. The first way is that they're connected to the Amazon in real time. So what this means is that uh, whatever is happening in the Amazon uh, at any given point in time, if it's sunny uh, daylight, if it's you know dusk, if you're if it's sunset, if it's nighttime, uh, you get to see the skylight change across your NFT. If you are looking at weather events, so for example, if it starts raining in the Amazon, then it starts raining in your NFT. If it's sunny in your uh, in the rainforest, it's sunny in your NFT. And the third thing that we synchronized besides skylight and weather was sound. So what you're listening to is an accurate uh, reflection of what happens in the rainforest at that particular time. So it's synchronized completely to the Amazon. And what we really wanted to create for people was not just something visual that you could appreciate about a rainforest, but an experience that could be completely immersive and truly emotionally connect you to the rainforest because it is such a really beautiful uh, ecosystem. It's one of the oldest ecological ecosystems in the world, in fact. Um, the second thing that makes it interesting is that it is metamorphic. And so uh, what ends up happening is that when you purchase, when you first acquire your, your NFT, it comes as like a baby plot almost. Um, the flowers haven't blossomed. There's still buds. The trees are little, you know, seedlings. Um, and it's all just like a baby that needs to be nurtured, similar to a Tamagotchi or a Digipet, um, if you sort of think back to older references. And then once you start engaging with the cause of rainforest protection, once you show up for the cause of rainforest protection, then the NFT starts changing and it starts blossoming and it goes through uh, other stages of uh, just complete uh, like visual changes. So you start seeing the flowers blossom, you start seeing growth uh, in the trees, you might see some illumination depending on your rarity pool, um, you might see some elements in, in you know that metallicize depending on your rarity pool. So it just becomes a lot more visually complex complex over time, the more that you engage with it. And so the last component that makes it interesting is um, that it's completely multidimensional. So as Sean mentioned, we were curious about turning it into a toy that you could use in many ways. So it's, you know, turn the sound on and it's meditative. It's artful and collectible. It's a utility pass to community events. And we've also worked with a company called Madbricks to develop a game. And so the more that you play the game, the more that you're able to move toward this metamorphosis. Now, here's the fun part about it is that you know, the work of Rainforest, one of the other fun parts about it. Uh, <laughs> listen, I, at some point, I'm, I'm thrilled. You keep going because, like, I, I talk too much in these things and I'm like, Lucia, you got this. Like, I'll I just go it. take a nap. I'll answer all the questions. Uh, no, the, uh, the fun part that I just love, uh, I love this component of it, which is, 
you know, the work of Rainforest, like I've been involved in um, the cause of Rainforest Protection for a really long time. I'm super connected to them because I grew up in a country that has the largest rainforest area in Central America. And it's just a cause that's always been very important to me. And it's very complex work to actually protect them. We currently have about 6% of the Earth's surface covered in rainforest, and this is decreasing very rapidly. And so it requires arduous work to protect it. And so we wanted to reflect and respect that work through our project. So one of the interesting elements about this is that if you stop engaging with your Eternals plot, uh, it actually regresses back to its basic state. So you have to continuously demonstrate your commitment to rainforest protection, play the game, engage with the community, learn about rainforest protection, donate to rainforest partnership partnership or chosen charity, um, and uh, and then that will just continue to feed the metamorphosis. But a second that you stop, it really it, it just goes to show like it'll wilt backwards and it'll just go back into its basic state. So it's a really exciting project. I haven't even gotten into the impact of the project yet, but I'll let you ask me that question eventually. Yeah. So, so, so the, the question that you're going to absolutely hate out of me is let's, let's talk tech stacks. Like, and, and, and the reason is, is I, I certainly want to get to the, the, you know, um, ecological and, and, and social good things here, but, but you're describing a very advanced, you know, usage for, for this technology today. Um, and, and, you, uh, what cha- what chain are you guys on? Ethereum. Uh, yeah, Ethereum. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll, so, I'll take the fish at, uh, at, at your question, Jay, but you can ask. Yeah. It so so let, just just walk us through kind of how how you how this is built and and how um, how you guys manage because there's so many upgrades and there's so many changes you know and and yeah. with Web three you, you build the code and you kind of run away so clearly there's a Web you know two component to a lot of this so kind of walk us through like you know without any you know trade secrets, kind of the details of how you built it and how the users interact with it um, without incurring a bunch of gas fees. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the the first thing to note is uh, there aren't a lot of trade secrets because we did this uh, as much as an example for the community, because what we what we hope is many people take uh, our lead on this and make it better. Uh, Very similar to like, at least from our point of view, Web3 values should be, uh, which is... uh, this is our contribution to the ecosystem. And we think that this is a good way to do things. We would be even more ecstatic if somebody finds ways to improve upon what we've done. Um, But our thought process was this. Uh, We chose Ethereum for multiple reasons. Uh, Number one reason is the tool sets on Ethereum are more advanced than most other um, blockchains at this point, especially when it comes to smart contracting, distribution, marketplaces. So it was around access and accessibility uh, to multiple people. Uh, as well as the fact that it has the longest chain, not the absolute longest chain, but when it comes to smart contracting, certainly longest chain benefits of security. So we know there's a lot of different people securing in a lot of different ways. And because we want these assets to last for a long time, we chose Ethereum. But then, as you rightly said, doing state changes on Ethereum would require gas fees. So instead of um, instead of doing that, we added a layer of architecture, which is we built our own private blockchain. And uh, that sits on top, for all intents and purposes, sort of like a layer two on Ethereum, but it is a private permission blockchain. And all it does is manage these state changes between the switching of the assets. And it has multiple different data feeds that go into it. The first data feed uh, that Lucia mentioned was the game environment. So as you play the game, uh, you get to certain levels. Our private blockchain says you're at level one. Oh, you just switched to level two. Let's change the way that your asset looks. Level three, let's change the way your asset looks. 
But the same kind of data feeds can come in from contributions to the charity, which is Rainforest Partnership in this particular case, as well as social goals that Rainforest Partnership actually achieves. So another part of this project, um, we're donating 55% of the entire sale, uh, the Mint, towards Rainforest Partnership. They've committed to us to use those funds in a transparent way to achieve social goals. And we'll be tracking and measuring those. And as they achieve those, those will actually come become data feeds to our private blockchain as well and actually evolve uh, the plots as well. So in this way, what we have blended is the idea of individual sovereignty over the evolution of your asset and its value, but also the idea of collective good. Uh, which is uh, if the the social impact criteria are met, everybody benefits, which again is our way of saying this is what a public good is. And Lucia will back me up here, I'm sure, when, when she has a, a chance to speak on this. We view rainforests not as uh, something to be owned. We view them as public goods and public utilities. So one of the big things for us was not trying to buy rainforest land with this. It was about supporting it as if you would a national park in many of other ideas. It's not owned by anybody other than the indigenous communities. And this is the same ethos that Rainforest Partnership goes to uh, their, their impact observations. They empower the communities that already have been taking care of this for generations. We're doing the same thing. So the tech stack is those two things uh, combined with IoT sensors, with a, which you'll find in the rainforest, which are gathering all of these data, which act as another, um, you know, like let's say input to our private blockchain. Um, it's an ERC721 on top of Ethereum, so a standard NFT contract. Um, and the, uh, the assets themselves are held in IPFS clusters. So the traditional way of handling that. The mechanism that's unique is the switching, um, as well as um, a couple other things. So I'll let um, Lucia. Yeah, jump so in I, I want to point out something real quick on, on something you said, Sean and, and Lucia. I'd love for you to expand on this, and it's a, it's something I've heard and, and never really gotten clear confirmation. <clears throat> and it and it relates to Sean talking about you guys not buying land because a lot of people talk about buying rainforest land or I want to preserve the rainforest, I want to preserve this, and they buy these these hecta acres uh, of property with no intent of ever securing them or ensuring that they stay there. And so generally that's where port, that's the land where poachers or people logging companies will go because they know no one's watching it. No one cares. So, so, you know, I applaud you guys for saying, look, the indigenous people are who are important here and they're the ones that will take care of this. You know, we're here to support them. Yeah. So I think, um, I think that really speaks to their ethos as well, because like they don't own the land either. Um, and they'll tell you that flat out. And part of this understanding is like they actually, uh, part of the work that Rainforest Partnership does is to educate them on their like civil rights specifically so that they can push for policy that allows them to custodian, uh, to be the custodians of that land without owning it. It's against their ethos to actually own it. So we really wanted to stay true to that. And we don't believe that you owning some NFT, you know, in any country in the world gives you the right to own, rent, or sponsor, or whatever it is, association of ownership you have over this land, which is, in fact, a public good. And so we really did want to stick to that. And we chose instead to focus the utility on your engagement and on what metamorphosis uh, is triggered by, which is actually your commitment 
to social impact as a, you know, and rainforest protection as a cause rather than like your perceived ownership of something that should be a public good. And in fact, it is because regardless of where you are in the world, every seventh breath on average is enabled by the Amazon rainforest. So it is very much a public good, regardless of whether you've ever set foot in the rainforest or not. Um, and by the way, rainforests are located all over the world, 6% of the Earth's surface. But to add on to what um, what to, to what Sean was saying is this idea that like essentially the smart contract is for each NFT has like pointers that lead to the permission blockchain. And so the permission blockchain governs what's happening and like what version of your NFT is being reflected in your wallet. So actually when you achieve metamorphosis in game environment, uh, it changes the NFT in your wallet specifically because the NFT and the smart contract are connected to the permission blockchain and whatever's in your wallet will be the reflection of what the permission blockchain is telling it to show you. Um, so it is in fact a, a layer two. And what it is, is it's actually governing the smart contract that uh, sort of showcases what your NFT, what version of, of the NFT your wallet is reflecting. So, you know, you might uh, like uh, start collecting it at, in state one, obviously, um, but the more that you do, because it's governed by the permission blockchain, you will in your wallet see a state two, state three asset, not just in game environment. And I think that that's also particularly innovative in relation to the architecture. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys the credit. This is one of the most advanced NFT projects that that I we've encountered so far and and it's not just a matter of of how you're changing the NFTs around but but the fact that your smart contracts are are and again these are these are you know vehicles that you launched into space without the ability to change in most cases you know the ability for these things to operate and kind of go on indefinitely um so what what's the status of the project today where is it have you launched where are you prepping to launch when when can when can I have one yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, we're we're looking at launching um, pretty soon. Uh, the 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 thought out date right now is the end of April. Um, we are holding off completely because we have two things in mind. Number one is we actually want to make sure that this is fantastically useful as soon as it launches. So Lucia and I have the same orientation, which is instead of promising with a white paper and selling things that could come later, we want to have all the utility done. So. Uh, the the interesting thing is that the game environment will be live directly and immediately at the same time as the assets, um, which is unique for this space. Um, and the assets and all of the, um, let's say, all of the evolution will also be live from the time that you purchase as well. So we decided to wait until that point was uh, in time to come. And then just also being transparent, we wanted to make sure like a lot of the stuff that we're doing is obviously the first time it's ever been done. That's the exciting thing about this ecosystem. So we've run into a couple, like, let's call them snags uh, originally. And we were like, ooh, let's think our way out of this. What if we try this and this? I mean, we've written, uh, like say we, uh, our team has written entire scripts in Blender, uh, in Python, like um, using advanced mathematics and Voneroy diagrams to place objects in three-dimensional space. And to, to my knowledge, this is one of the first ever th complete 10,000 unique assets, but 3D generative, uh, um, you know, like plots of virtual land that have to look organic, as well as the fact that each one of them is unique. And we're looking at uh, rarity ratios, as well as distribution ratios, as well as where to position things in 3D space, um, as well as like, you know, the visuals and the fact that they have to look organic. So we've been doing a lot of stuff on that. And one of the things I think Lucia and I are super excited about is we also managed to do this with a rendering farm based in France. 
that has actually taken our uh, carbon efficiency from what what would have been 60 tons of carbon all the way 71. down, excuse me, 71 tons of carbon all the way down to, go ahead, Lucia. 6.8. 6.8 tons of carbon. So when people yeah. say that NFT projects are polluting or they're not carbon efficient, etc., we've tackled that head on. And then on top of that, we said, let's take 1% of all of our secondary scale sales and buy carbon credits with that indefinitely, which means that if the project is successful beyond a certain point, we can actually become carbon negative and start sequestering more carbon than just our project. And potentially, I mean, this it's uncapped, so we could sequester more carbon than most other NFT projects start to combine. Um, Let me play with this question for a sec, because I think that this is actually probably one of the most exciting elements that maybe has been has received the least amount of coverage in relation to the project, which is this idea that uh, we minted on Ethereum very specifically. And we get that question all the time in reconciling our decision to run an impact project over what is a very controversial uh, blockchain in relation to its environmental impact. And we made two decisions. The first decision was, uh, you know, architecturally, it's not just that the permission blockchain, you know, saves you gas fees, but also because it's run to the same standards, um, like our servers are run to the same standards as our rendering process, which means that ultimately, uh, we don't rely on Ethereum for most of the transactions, rather the mint and secondary sale transactions, which limits the amount of carbon we're actually producing off the, like, actual function of the blockchain within this project. So that was step one in order to minimize the amount of carbon that we're, uh, that we're emitting. But the second thing that was also important was rendering. And actually, because it's a 3D rendered collection of 30,000 assets, uh, the computing power that is necessary for that would have been uh, ecologically quite strong, like quite horrible. As Sean mentioned, we estimated that it's about 71 tons of carbon that would have been produced just by having done this project as like every other project is run within a you know, computer processing uh, uh, data center in the United States, which is primarily oil and gas. Uh, now, choosing to do this project uh, and render in France gave us a better energy mix because France is mostly uh, sourcing its energy from hydroelectric and also nuclear energy. And so ultimately, doing it in France in traditional servers would have lowered uh, our footprint from 71 down to about 15 or 16 tons of, of carbon. But the fact that we also chose our partner to be Tresorio, which also recycles heat that is emitted during the computing processing required for rendering and then converts it into hot water uh, immediately, which can be used for social good. And I'll tell you about that in a sec. Uh, but essentially, this process of tra like trapping, recycling, and immediately using the heat, one, diminishes the amount of cooling that is necessary for producing this, and two, also uh, lessens the amount of carbon emissions. So that's how we were able to get down to 6.8. Additionally, the hot water that is being uh, recycled through this project is actually providing four 41,000 showers, hot showers, to social housing units across France. So it's double the impact as well um, on that front. And so we were very intentional about uh, how we were actually going to lessen our impact. But what this project is truly showcasing is that this narrative that proof-of-work-based blockchains are irreconcilable with environmental efficiency is actually not true. And in fact, this is one step forward in thinking about the different ways in which we can come together to think about computing power which is the underlying reason why systems like proof-of-work-based blockchains actually do have a damaging impact on the environment. And so uh, by being intentional about how that's done, you can definitely um, sort of defeat that narrative and lessen the environmental footprint. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about that is 
that we actually uh, have been very intentional about impact across board, which is why uh, we actually designed an original impact measurement framework, which we're going to be slowly releasing over the next few weeks. But basically, we have come up with a list of about 50-something metrics um, whereby we are measuring the entire impact of our project from the environmental perspective to the inclusion perspective in, in you know, regional uh, diversity, in gender diversity, et cetera. We're also looking at uh, different outcomes that are going to come from the project in relation to how we've gone about designing it. And so, uh, so we've been very intentional about this and we've opened that framework up to the community to make sure that like, as Sean mentioned, like we're building this so people can take it and run with it and continue to improve it and develop it in different ways. But impact is a really core component of what makes this tech stack interesting. So it's not that it's impactful and it's technology. It's literally like intended to converge and like illustrate how impact can play a more key like role within how a tech stack is actually designed. So, so you hit it here first. I just want to say, Jay, like uh, the first project to ever create an impact framework uh, was the Eternals. And actually, this is applicable to Web3 projects going forward because we think that the ecosystem needs it. But, you know, some some slightly smarter people than me designed it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> listen, so so number one, I want to applaud you guys for, for the thoughts that you put into these things. Um, and, and and while this is, this is showcasing yours, I would love, I would be more than happy someday to argue that professionally run proof of work operations are positive to alternative energy, but that's not what we're here to do today. So yeah. um, when you're when you guys are doing, I mean, you have so many tasks, you have so many missions, so many, so many, so many things going on. And I also want to point out that everything you're doing, even if you fall short on any one of those initiatives. Your competition is physical toys that have to be manufactured and shipped around the world. So no matter what you do, you've you've won by creating something that's engaging um, and 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 takes a real real talent to be able to to put through. Because again, um, you know, you guys are doing so many things to to make sure that you guys are are neutral, or negative, and and again massively important. And then you have the social good. And the, what I want to focus on now is is community because that's the big deal in Web3. And I think that most people think, you know, like, oh, the technology is great. This is good. You know, this it will succeed because of the tech. It, these succeed because there's a community behind you. So really, I'd, I'd love to hear more about yours and, and you know, what size the, the community is behind Eternals and, and uh, where, where you see them going with governance and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I first of all, I'd love to say that we have a dedicated team of community managers who are just unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. They are like when we when we first spoke to them, uh, their idea, um, and they will continue to do this, is not just to be community managers, but to actually create an academy that they call Mod Academy. Uh, which will be training the future community managers for multiple projects because we all believe that like as NFTs and as well as um, Web3 projects grow, they'll need community management. And that's going to be one of the big uh, roles in the the marketplace of tomorrow, just like dev talent was uh, in the blockchain Bitcoin area. And then we're going to see in the NFT era, it's going to be creatives with uh, talent uh, for um, Web3. It's also going to be community managers who are proven. And so they're not just, um, you know, running our community very well. They're practicing their skills and bringing in admins and mods that they can train through an academy process to graduate them for uh, the rest of the projects. So first of all, we're really proud of them. Second of all, uh, when it comes to uh, the way that we've been engaged in the community, we've chosen three vehicles. So number one is Twitter, because that's where people are. 
And number two is Discord, because uh, that's where people seem to be right now when it comes to NFTs. The third one, yes, I agree with you, with your smirk, Jay. I, I agree. There should be better tools. We'll talk about that another time. <laughs> but they, uh, the other one is that we are soon to be launching TikTok. I will say that um, uh, the, the, the fabulous Lucia will be our TikTok star. So that's fantastic. Luckily for everyone in the community, they don't have to look at me. They just get to look at the lovely Lucia. <laughs> but, uh, the, the, I think the thing that's most, what's been most gratifying for us is that the project is quite complex. Uh, and it is, it's so multi-pronged that it's difficult to digest all of the different things that are happening at the same time. So the way that we've been engaging with community is through things like this, podcasts, AMAs, uh, Twitter spaces. And every time we do that, we get not fans, we get um, Halyard bearers. We get people that are just rushing out into their communities, bringing other people. We are evangelizing people, not because we're trying to, but because we're just saying, hey, this is something we're thinking about differently. Um, and then all of a sudden, when they get it, they're like, how can we not be part of this? And, and that's really the machine that we've unintentionally been running for a while now. What we've been trying to do is just explain what we're doing. What ends up happening is people getting very passionate about this. So I think it's been about three months and we went from zero to nearly 3,000 on Twitter. Um, uh, we're, we're also like the same at the same time, we've gone from zero to just under 1,000, I think, on Discord. But what we've been very keen about is getting the right type of people in there. We, yeah. we haven't been about quantity in community. And I, I know that this is the metric that most people look at. Um, it's like how many Twitter followers and how many community members. But you would know this from the YWales community, Jay. It's, it's about uh, what type of people you have in there, how engaged they are. And I can tell you that we have people who are on the servers at 11 p.m. on a Saturday playing games with each other and sharing their plants from home and talking about these other things that are going on in the forest and the ecosystem, listening all together to meditative music from the Amazon. And we would much rather have a smaller community of strong people than grow too fast. But I will say we certainly have no problem with growing right now. It's growing monumentally faster than we thought it would. Yeah. And it's just yeah. like, it's just waiting to go viral, I think. I, uh, the other day, please, uh, somebody's coriander plant was dying and they created a Twitter space. Like the community asked for a Twitter spaces so that like 20 people from the community could participate and figure out how to save this community member's dying coriander plant. And so, like, in terms of degree of engagement, I think that is the stronger metric for me. And I'm, like, literally shocked at just how much time certain people spend within our community. And then the other thing I'm shocked about is just, like, the degree of relationships that are clearly being built. Like, there's never a quiet moment within the Discord. And whether it's, like, connecting about plants or connecting about rainforests, connecting about cause, connecting, asking questions. Uh, our questions channel is super active. People want to know more about the impact framework, about the tech stack, about, and like, usually when you go to discords of other NFT projects, like the only questions they ask are like, when is the mint? What price? When is the mint? What price? And for us, like, sure, we get that question every so often, but the majority of questions are actually about the project. And that's super exciting for us. And indeed, like, 
in terms of uh, degree of ambassadorship, let's say, it's been very, very high. Um, I've been getting a lot of messages of like, hey, this person from your community told me about your project. Hey, this, you know, I heard about it on Twitter Spaces. And then I'm like, who was on this Twitter Spaces? And it wasn't anybody from our team. So it's been really interesting to just sort of see how people almost adopt the project on their own. And that's been like, probably one of the most exciting elements of the past the past month or so, so. you know it, it as with every you know one of these projects these the, you know there's the race to the starting line like <clears throat> all the work you're doing is just to launch what yeah. what's the and, and again we know you haven't even launched yet but you know what's the roadmap for for eternals i mean clearly you're not going to just disband you know disband and say oh, it's cool you guys good luck see you later so so mm-hmm. where where does the where do you go from here you've got your own layer two you've got you know a, a, like you're a carbon neutral um you know nft and 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 again just across the board it's a game um you know how do you even think about about version two well, first there's like where the tech stack can take us. And then there's also like, where does this project go? And I think that like one of the things that we haven't told you yet uh, is this idea of how we want to build more connection between members of our community and the rainforest and and the project. And so ultimately we've decided that about 10 times a year, 10 times a year, we're going to be uh, giving away an ultra rare. And uh, these ultra rares cannot be purchased. Uh, they can only be one. And you have to be in state three in order to be eligible to win one. So your plot has to be in state three. And you're automatically entered into this, these giveaways. And these giveaways come with, uh, they come encoded with real world rights. So the first one that we've announced, which trust me, the community is ridiculously like excited it's about. System <laughs> is that the first ultra rare we give away will come with the rights to name a recently discovered frog species of the rainforest. Uh, it'll be full rights. So whatever science reference books, et cetera, uh, will refer to the, bo- the frog as there, that. So there's no way this could go badly. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I've been, there's a running joke in our community where when I, uh, accidentally let this slip. Uh, I begged people in the audience to not name it after some shit coin. And I almost feel like what I've done is that I've essentially challenged people to think of like the worst shit coin name to possibly name it. And by the but, way, I'm in charge um, of that group. I'm like, go shit coin. <laughs> yeah, so this is definitely going to go horribly wrong. Um, but there's a lot of competition over like who is going to win that. But that's just one of a series of them. So we do have a, a trip for two that's curated uh, by like. Like, uh, one of the local communities that we work with. So people will get the opportunity to go to the rainforest in a very curated experience with our local communities and our indigenous communities. Uh, there's uh, stuff around like documentaries that relate to uh, rainforest protection rights. Uh, and so, you know, red carpet experiences in relation to those documentaries. Uh, there's like a couple other uh, ones in the work that are immersive and so on and so forth. So really about, you know, carrying this community forward and saying like, number one, like these this, the game will continue to evolve. The project will continue to evolve. But we also have these like extra special ways a couple times a year where you can just win the right to be even more connected to the rainforest. And, you know, I, I'm calling out of Tulum right now. 
And I definitely think I have to like create a package that relates to like a Tulum rainforest experience now that I've lived it. So uh, there's definitely more to come on that front. What, and then what, on what the tech smoking stack and front, where can I get some? No, sorry. <laughs> uh, I told you exactly where. <laughs> Just come. <laughs> Meet me here. Um, the, uh, the, the tech stack itself, you're right. I mean, we're doing a lot of really refreshing things. And we've received a lot of messages from other impact projects that are interested to see how it could be applicable to them. Uh, we've received also like non-impact interest in understanding the tech stack. So there's a lot of options, but really like what we're focused on right now is, you know, what is the future of the Eternals, you know, our immediate future of like minting and, and growing our community, but also our long-term vision of saying like, this is an impact project that is intended to live on and it's intended to continuously build your, your commitment to the cause, reflect your commitment to the cause. Cause obviously if you're in state three, which is the one that we've created, like the furthest we've created so far, um, that just shows that you have been engaged with this cause. And so it serves almost like a badge of honor of saying, hey, I said I'm passionate about the rainforest and here I am showing up for it. Right. So uh, for us, like really looking at what is next for the Eternals and how we continue to provide value and and growth and connection to the rainforest, I think is really uh, at the top of our minds. And um, and I think that, that the fact that we are so committed to the project in its long term and that we're a fully doxed team really just adds and, and like pays testament to the fact that we're all very passionate about this project. And like if you were on Twitter spaces and you were listening to any one of our team members describe this project, you would think just as easily that it could be me and Sean by the degree of passion that they inject into how they talk about it. So we're in it for the long haul. We are super excited about the surprises to come. Now you know about the frog and you can get in on the action to get it. Listen, um, I, I, I'm but, absolutely going to be a level three very quickly here. So, um, <laughs> this is 21 days. Okay. Think, so. so, all right. As you guys, yeah. you know, have, you've built this out, you're going to continue to, to upgrade it and make changes. But, you know, to be clear, the, this chain will live on. This, this solution will live on. So same as that Tamagotchi that, that may be running in somebody's drawer right now. Somebody could put you, you've built this so 20, 30, 40, 50 years out, uh, providing Ethereum and, and whatnot still running. This game is still operating and still, still generating potentially, uh, royalties towards, towards the cause. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and on top of that, we've built it kind of open ended so that all kinds of extra functionality can be added. And this is the value for, for Web3, right? We've built the, that private blockchain with open APIs, so to speak, so that we can have lots of different, uh, additional ways that we couldn't conceive of yet to evolve your plot. And we've also built it so that there's no limitation on the number of changes you can go through. We've uh, we've created three different stages right now, but there's no reason that it can't be 25. Mm -hmm. There's no reason uh, when we've created this 3D asset, because each one of them is 3D, that this cannot turn into a metaverse VR, uh, at, you know, like plot where which you can walk into, or we can allocate them into a you know, let's call it a VR world. Uh, with uh, with certain rarities and certain traits. Stop and there's teasing no our plans for NFT NYC. <laughs> no, this is great. Listen, it's it's fabulous. Clearly, you know, Sean, you've been in the space for a long time. Lucia, you you have absolutely you know proven your 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 credibility around this this as well. That you understand the technology and you understand how to push the technology in in, in responsible ways. Um, what, what are you seeing out there that's just cool? You're really excited about, and you know that, that's kind of got you saying like Web three really is is starting to dig in its heels and become a mainstream thing. Lucia, we'll start with you. Sure. So I am a big fan of Jonas Lund's newest project. It's a generative art project that is responsive in real time to how people respond to it. 
Um, and so if you're walking past it, it changes a little bit. If you stop and you stare at it, it changes a lot. And so it's essentially like generative in response to how people are receiving that art. It's graphically spectacular. I'm a big fan of abstract art. So for me, it's like right up my alley in terms of style. So I'm particularly excited about that. It was commissioned by Aorist, uh, which is a, a platform that's built atop Algorand, actually. Um, So just an interesting, uh, interesting project to me, because a, I think the, this idea that uh, NFTs are no longer static, uh, though I do own a few PFPs, uh, I think that this notion that like art is, um, is a living, breathing thing is very exciting. And it's something that is a departure from, um, you know, something that is a true departure from physical art, because even as physical art, like the majority of the time you end up with a project that will eventually not change. And so in the digital space, we have this opportunity to make endlessly evolving artwork. And I think that that's something that's super exciting. The fact that it's responsive to social behavior is also something that's exciting to me, because as I look toward the future of NFTs, I think, you know, these ideas of loyalty and engagement with the community, these notions of how NFTs can sort of reflect social and human and economic behavior are particularly exciting. So this type of project to me is um, is what I'm looking out for. Awesome. It's very cool. And I never heard of it. So I'll go check that out one. Sean, yeah. what you got? Well, you, you, could, you know everybody and everything in the industry. So like this has got to be impossible well, for you. It's, to be honest, uh, Lu- Lucia, as much as she, she likes to keep herself humble, probably knows more people than me and more things going on. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll just plug in again a little bit for Aorist, but then I'll go to my actual answer. So Aorist is actually run by a very good friend of ours, uh, one of the, r- the reasons that we met. Um, mm-hmm. But what, I'll just give them a little plug in saying they are really one of the digital disruptors to the way that Web3 arts and NFTs are being uh, accepted. So if there was a little piece of alpha, I would say is you should go on Aorist, mm-hmm. you should register, you should see because when it comes to uh, getting art for the, the, let's call it the best possible artists that are approaching the Web3, getting the rare ones, getting commissions, those kind of things, Aorist really has what uh, you know the YPO community is really looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they're working with an artist, they're serious artists. Awesome. Um, from my point of view, for the answer, I'll go a little bit more like, I guess, philosophical and I'll say you know, the thing that I'm excited about is that what crypto did for money, NFTs are going to do for assets. Um, and this is what like I see coming. Uh, what are we building here, like in, in Eternals, is a representation of, of where we can go with certain types of assets. But eventually it's going to be real estate. It's going to be uh, not just art. It's going to be all types of assets on the blockchain. And when you get assets on the blockchain and you have currency on the blockchain and different types of smart contract interactions can happen there, that's the future we've been dreaming about for a long time in Web3. Automatic execution, automatic price discovery, automatic negotiations, uh, the elimination of lawyers, if nothing else, you know. <laughs> but like, no, no, it's a small joke there. But, you know, all the YPO lawyers are going to piss <laughs> off at that one. <laughs> but uh, no, seriously speaking, I, I'm very long the idea of more and more functionality coming to blockchain. And I think we've started to crack uh, that for NFTs. So where we are in uh, asset world is where blockchain was for crypto in 2013, but that, those timelines are going to get compressed. So uh, we're going to see the kind of functionality that we saw for money happen in, if it took crypto five years, we're going to see it happen in NFTs in two. Um, so in the next couple of years, I think I'm most excited to see some of the, the, the very interesting assets that start to come onto the blockchain and the interest, the interactions between those. Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating when we look at the technology and, and where it's going and, and 
the experimentation um, mm-hmm. of of the technology, and, and you know, you're not the Eternals is not the first one to say we're going to create an evolving NFT, um, but but clearly you're more advanced. And I'm speaking as someone who owns ten CryptoZoo eggs that it cost me Ethereum gas every time I want to evolve them. I just gave up on them and got rid of them because it was never going to get any better. There was never any any long term utility, and it almost seemed like the founders had abandoned it um, based on the the garbage artwork that they put into it versus looking at what you guys have done, um, everything is thought through. Everything is, is really, you know, to, to a pin, like you, you've gone through what, what seems like an entire whiteboard of like, we could render this the easy way, the cheap way, or we could do it the socially responsible way. And I think that, you know, you, you've got a core thesis and I, I really applaud you guys for, for spending so much time, energy and effort on this. Um, because for a lot of a lot of project leads like this, it, it starts with how much money am I going to make and and when Lambo, and you know I, I hope you guys are insanely successful with this, and I'll, I'll buy as many as I can I can possibly mint. But the um the, the thought that you guys are really again coming at it with with longevity and and social social responsibilities um, is very unique, and so I, I want to make sure that people that are listening to this is as if they didn't hear everything you were saying understands that this is you know some core values and. When you're talking about mission, vision, values uh, of a company, you know clearly you, you guys are a company. There's a lot of projects, um, but but they you know they they tend to kind of go that exact way. It's a project, and then they move on. You guys have uh, a community. You have roadmaps. You have runways. You have visions. Um, and and really, I, I, again, with any everything else that you guys have done um, and and planning to do, it's it's very cool to see this going. And I also applaud you guys for holding back. On the launch, um, you know, everyone's you know worried about a crypto winter coming, and you know if they have to get rid of you know like hurry up and and raise money or or sell your project before people get sick of NFTs. Um, and and I'm not in that, that 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 camp at all. I mean, it's one of those things you know to hold back, do it right. You get one chance to make a first impression because with blockchain, which I don't have to tell you guys, um, you you launch that ship into outer space and it's not coming back to be fixed. And so code review is a, a real thing. And it sounds like you guys have done that as well as give yourselves the ability to upgrade this going forward. So awesome. I'm really excited. Um, so what's the best way for people to kind of know more about you guys? Where's your discord? And, and also kind of when you mint, where's that going to happen at? Yeah. Um, uh, Lucia, do you, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll jump into it. So the we have our website, which is the eternals.io or eternals.io, excuse me. So um, I'm sure uh, you'll put that up um, uh, for the viewers. And then we have our Discord um, and our Twitter. Those are definitely the best channels. Soon our, our TikTok will be launched. Um, I'd also like to say, um, uh, Jay, that we're going to be um, handing out uh, some uh, allow list pass. We call them early explorer pass to the Y Wheels community. Uh, so you guys will have, um, uh, you know, like um, what what formerly was called whitelist, um, and we're going to be minting this on Nifty Gateway. And we chose uh, uh, to partner with Nifty Gateway for um, for really good, in our opinion, really good reasons. First of all, uh, I think that they, with the way that they operate, they're the gold standard in the ecosystem. Uh, they're extremely secure. They accept both crypto and fiat. They allow you to have an account. They're constantly improving their platforms. So in a couple of weeks' time, actually, they're integrating MetaMask into their... Um, they did this week. Uh, they did this week, yeah. Uh, I, I saw April 6th that they said they were going to do it. So Lucia, as usual, is ahead of me. Uh, so MetaMask is uh, is integrated into their platform, which is fantastic, which reduces their fees. Um, but also, they're very curated about the projects that they work with. So we wanted to give people like the security 
of being able to do that. And then because we're doing uh, the minting, uh, or let's say the generation of the contract happens before the sale, there's no gas wars either. Uh, so there's none of this like inefficiency and uh, there's a limited amount that people can buy and every uh, everybody who's on our allow list can buy two and everybody else can buy up to seven. Uh, when it comes to the public sale. And we've done this to make sure that there's a fair distribution as well as there's transparency. So, you know, like we really thought about this as as well as we could. Uh, we're open to feedback and ideas. But Nifty Gateway has been wonderful to work with. And we'll continue to release more information to the public through our, our social channels um, and our community. Uh, we actually are there to answer questions as well as uh, as our community managers. So I would say to anybody who's interested, jump on our Discord, jump on our Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're here to talk to you and we're looking forward to it. Awesome, awesome. Whales. that's Sean and Lucia from Eternals, uh, as well as a number of other projects you guys have been involved with. But thank you so much and we'll see you guys next time. Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.